Welcome to the Spokane Show, where I feature in-depth interviews with fascinating people while offering a fresh perspective on culture, community, and much more. I'll take you with me on deep dives into some of today's most compelling topics, and hopefully we're going to share some laughs along the way. This is a show about life, so please join me, your host, Eric Walker, for this episode of the Spokane Show. Hi, everybody. Thank you for popping in on this episode of the Spokane Show. I'm your host, Eric Walker, and it's been a minute since I last dropped an episode, but it's good reason because I've been consumed with my genealogy. See, this episode is about adoption, and actually, it's a two-part episode. I was adopted, and for the better part of 45 years since my mom told me the news, I've had this deep idiosyncratic curiosity of where I come from, you know, what my roots were. Who do I look like? Who do I sound like? Whose eyes do I have? Did the rest of the family stay intact? Were they ever even married? Now, before I continue, I want my family to know I love all of you. I haven't told you enough over the years, but I do. This is a personal quest. A personal quest to finally extinguish the burning desire of self-discovery. Of who I am. I needed to tie up some loose ends for some time now. I feel like I've been on an island. I feel like I've been living in obscurity all these years, regardless of how much love and safety my family provided me as a child. I met my biological mother 30 years ago, kind of an anticlimactic meeting of sorts. As much as I hoped for a connection, there wasn't one. I've always imagined this reunion like you see on the Hallmark Channel, and uh, it wasn't like that at all. What I saw was a woman living a very hard life whose past was even harder. But I did discover whose eyes I had. We maintained contact over the years. I would send her Christmas cards, birthday cards, and occasionally call her up asking who the baby daddy was. But she never tell me. I felt the vibe that she didn't even know who he was. She died in 2002 at the age of 52. And she took that identity to her grave. The only solid lead I had, at least I thought I had, was my original birth certificate. It listed her name and the name of the biological father. I thought this would be a piece of cake to find him. Boy, was I wrong. Because eventually, the lead I followed for the next 15 years proved to be a dead end. I don't even know how this man's name made it on my birth certificate in the first place. I gave up. I thought it was a peace knowing that I will never know. Several years later, I tried again, and last year I submitted DNA to 23andMe, and most of the results I received were from my maternal side. There were only a few very distant paternal relatives, and I had all but given up again. In August, I suffered eh, a couple heart attacks, and something like that puts a whole new perspective on your own mortality. I had to find out. I couldn't go to my grave never knowing. That would not give me peace. Then one day out of the blue, the past fall, someone contacted me, and it turns out I am this person's great uncle, which means this person's grandfather is my biological father. I was excited. I was ecstatic. So I submitted DNA to Ancestry, and even more paternal relatives appeared, including my biological uncle, which would be Biodad's brother. It was like a gate opened and poured out my heritage. Now I know who my biological father is. As of this recording, I've yet to contact him as I am still navigating the logistics. After all, 54 years have gone by and it's very likely he doesn't even know I existed. 
it'll be a really big shock. So I don't, I don't want to tread heavily. I want to, I want to be sensitive about this. In a sense of irony, once again, I'm living in obscurity. So here are some things I've learned in the 45 years of discovering I was adopted. The first thing I learned was that I am of a small group of people. I was told I was adopted at nine. So I grew up and I noticed the overwhelming majority of people I knew were living in biological families. I didn't feel ostracized as a child. However, when I became an adult, I noticed the disparity between adopted versus biological. You quickly become aware during conversations when you read obituaries or articles where certain members of the family are singled out as adopted, or you hear some type of phrase being made about the adopted kid in the biological family. You never know what you're going to get is a common thing I've heard about adopted kids. But the truth is, you never know what you're going to get with a biological kid either. I recall being at a wedding one time and being introduced by my grandmother as the child my parents adopted. That stuck with me. I feel like that was a defining moment of my existence. The second thing I learned is that reunion cannot repair a severed bond. It's not possible to repair a ruptured connection that took place at birth or shortly after birth. People can have positive reunions, but never like the one they would have had had that bond not been interrupted. The rupture of the original bond between mother and child can never fully be repaired. Reunion is an attempt to regain what was lost. However, it's not possible to repair something as great as years of time that was missed out on. We all know children need solid nurturing time and they bond closest to those who are constantly in their life. Adoption creates family out of strangers and strangers out of family. My own reunion with BioMom, while positive in many senses, brought this lesson to me in a big way. What was broken in the primal relationship many years ago would never fully be repaired. Another thing I learned was that I value family history. There is nothing like having zero access to your own family history to make you a huge fan of family history in general. Family stories and ancestors have value to each and every one of us. And when we don't have access to that information, it can cause a lot of distress, or at least it did for me. The rise of genealogy platforms like 23andMe and Ancestry.com is proof that almost everybody cares about where they come from, especially those of us who don't have the privilege of that information. Now, in recent years, with the rise of DNA testing, I have become a huge fan of genetic genealogy and helping people in my own adopted community connect the dots. Really, these platforms are releasing the secrets. I also believe in value family preservation. I believe families should be supported to stay together before the word adoption is even ever uttered. Now, does that mean I think it's okay to kids be abused? Absolutely not. However, if a biological parent is not available to parent, I believe the family members or close friends, known as kinship care, is the next best thing. Now, a child loses too much when they lose all connection to their family and community. This is also true for adoptive families who later divorce or break up. I do not believe open adoption necessarily lessens the severity of all these losses. It helps, but it can never fully repair the loss. Private infant adoption allows one party, 
the mother to relinquish a child and sever the child's connection to their family and community. There's no requirement that she seek a family member. In fact, the law supports her to relinquish to strangers and do it quickly. I learned that I'm free to create my own family. Here I am, 54. I'm a big believer in you choose your family. The idea is supportive of adoption, but also, more importantly, supportive of freedom in adulthood. As children, we had no choice. Biological or adopted, we get what we got. Some of us won the parent lottery, others did not. The great thing about being an adult is that you can create your own family any way you choose. I learned the value of community. Now, I saved this one for last because it is the biggest and most important lesson and blessing I have received by being adopted. When invalidation comes through that door of self-doubt, I can turn to my community of adoptees, adoptive parents, and birth parents who get it. They are always there. All I have to do is log into one of my private groups or call a friend who are, who are my family. I have community, and that means everything to me. Our first guest on the Spokane show is Cammie Moody, who I've known for a little bit. And it wasn't until recently I discovered that she was adopted. So imagine my surprise when she said she'd be willing to come on the show and tell her story. Cammie, welcome to the Spokane show. My question is this. You and I are both adopted. Mm -hmm. This whole episode is on adoption. Tell me how old you were when you were adopted. First, so I came out of the womb and I went into my, I went to my mom, but technically my adopted mom. Where were you born? I was born in Orange County, California. So it's actually in Orange, California, which is in Orange County. Did you know anything about your biological parents? Yeah, I actually have a book. My parents had this like children's book that they would read to me. So there was never a time that I didn't know I was adopted. There was definitely an age when I realized what that meant, but I've known a little, it was a closed adoption. My parents and my birth mom, you know, it was the late 80s. Closed adoption is what you did. There wasn't really open adoption. It was kind of the beginning of what that looked like. But I knew a little bit about my, my birth parents, little bits. It wasn't until later on in life as I continued to grow, that information was shared a little bit more. How old were you when they told you? I don't know. I don't really have that age. I've just always known. Like I still have this little children's book that they would read to me that talks about, you know, going from one person into your family and what that means. And it's awesome that they could do that a lot lax in these kind of situations. I remember my adoption, not my adoption, but I remember my mom and dad told me, my mom told me on a Saturday, we were in the parking lot of a tire shop. My dad was inside. It was raining. We were facing east. I remember all the stuff. And my mom told me we were adopted. I don't know what kind of tires my dad got. I do remember being told. Did you ever go through a time in your life where you just, your imagination ran wild? Oh, yeah. Kind of wondering who these people were. I mean, what, what kind of things did you encounter being an adopted child? I encountered a lot of identity crisis. And it, that's... That's interesting, Eric. I don't know if I would classify it as an identity type of crisis, but I had one thing I do remember at a young age is I was told my birth dad was a sailor from Germany, right? Came into port, met my birth mom, this, you know, romantic little story. Spoiler alert, not totally true, but I didn't know that until I met my birth mom, right? And she kind of shared with the story. But this, this fantasy that I had was I have this 
family in Germany. And my birth dad was really young. And I have 15 half brothers and sisters just hanging out in Germany and being like, man, how cool would that be if I met them? And I'm like this big sister. Cause in my family, I'm, I'm the baby. I'm just thinking like, I'm this big sister to all these like German kids running around and thinking like, is it like on crap type of situation? Is it less like feral countryside type thing? Like, and that's, that's where my mind would race and to what would that look like if I met him and all of his kids? And so that's one thing that I did. I don't know if I'd say fantasize about, but it was a scenario that I would often dip into. I definitely identified as I'm 50% German. Bring on Oktoberfest. Well, I am not German at all. Oh, what do you turn out to be? Uh, half Irish. Really? Yep. What my parents had known was that my birth mom was... If I were to say I had an identity crisis, it was, what's my nationality? But I was told that my birth dad was 100% German, actually a German citizen in their Navy or the Marine Corps type of structure, right? And that birth mom was half Spanish, half Finnish. So I always thought, oh, I'm pretty solid. I'm not like this cute little melting pot of like 116th this and, you know, you know, whatever, 124th that, whatever that might be. I was, oh, I don't know, close to 30. I uh, did that Ancestry.com thing. So I was like, I want to know. I'm at the point. I, I had two kids at that point. I just felt, I, I just need to know. Like, that's always been important to me. Let's figure this out. So I did that. And what was it? Like six, seven weeks later, I get this email and it's Ancestry.com. Like, we have your results. And I'm like, great. I already know what they are, but this will be confirming. Eric, it was 50, like 2% Irish, which I'm like, <laughs> what about me says Irish? Nothing, right? Wah, wah. Totally. And one of the reasons I love my husband or I was attracted to my husband was because he's these big green eyes. And I'm like, oh, I love green eyes. If I can change anything about me and have green eyes. I had two young kids. They both have green eyes. We know science, right? If I have brown eyes and he has brown eyes in his family, our kids are supposed to have brown eyes. Both of them have green. So once I saw these results, I'm like, ah, so I do have that gene. But I'm also a quarter Spanish, a quarter Finnish, and then a mixture of Native American and something else. I can't remember off the top of my head. So how did you contact your biological parent? Kind of a, like a telemarketing call. Hi, good evening, ma'am. Um, I just wanted to call you and let you know <laughs> I'm your daughter. I, I knew her name because I had probably when I was about 18, 19, snooped through my parents' garage. My dad kept everything, every document of anything. He always kept it. So I found a letter that my birth mom had written to me. Oh, wow. So I knew her name and I looked her up on Facebook and I was like, this might be her. But there was, I mean, it was a random picture of not even her. It was like one of those sparkly picture things from like years ago. And I'm like, this might not be her. And I kind of looked at other ones with this similar names and I'm like, dude, I don't know. Maybe this is her. And it was one of those. All right, let's do this. So I messaged her on Facebook saying, I don't know if this is you or not. And there's really no way to tell, but here's my story. <laughs> 
And she responded back and was like, I thought you'd never reach out. So I was 30 at this point. And with closed adoptions, once you're 18, the records are open. And she had said to herself, if I don't hear from her by the time she's 21, then it's just not going to happen. And she kind of came to peace with that. And, you know, that, you know, she kind of just shared to me like, that was okay. Like, you know, it's, it's your, it's your life. If you didn't want to meet me, that's fine. It has to be both ways. And so when I was 30 and I reached out to her, she was shocked, but she was so excited about it. So excited to meet me. And through ancestry.com, I was connected to some people from my dad's side. When it comes to my birth dad, I will never meet him. As far as I know, he is serving life in prison. Oh, yeah. You know where he is, at least. I sure do. And I hope he stays there. <laughs> Some of the details that I learned. But I got connected with this third cousin of mine who then connected me to my half siblings from his side, who he had three daughters and got connected with them. Um, heard some of the stories about him and it's just, that was a hard pill to swallow just to know, I mean, you get this, right? Like you might be genetically connected to someone, but that doesn't, there's still that separation of nature versus nurture and, you know. I went through a long time of who do I look like? I mean, do you ever go through that? I mean, just, do I have her, do I have her beard? I mean, I don't know. I do not. Uh, but how was it for you? I mean, obviously you met her in person. Uh, tell me how that went. We met at this coffee shop. She um, she wasn't too far away from where I live. I don't know, maybe 30 minutes away. So she came out to meet me um, and I was nervous, but I knew going into it, like I'm not looking for a new mom, right? I'm not looking for this deep emotional relationship. I'm not looking to make up for lost time. This was something that I was very aware because she was in her late thirties when she had me. So I knew time's not really on our side at this point. I was feeling nervous and kind of excited and just trying to not have these expectations of we're totally going to click. That's mom. My hobbies were not the same as theirs. My tendencies were different. How I viewed life, like all of it was just very obviously different. And so I was trying to calibrate that. Don't expect that with this woman, right? That's not what I'm looking for. That's not what you need. I know my identity. I know who I am. Let's rest in that, right? Meeting her felt a little awkward at first because, well, you're mom, but you're not mom. And you're just the uncomfortable, like awkward little twitches. But I mean, we talked for hours. We sat outside and we just talked for hours. She shared with me her story. She asked me questions. And the best thing, Eric, was I always worried that I was a cause of heartache for her. When my birthday came around, did she have regret? Did she not remember? Did she not care? Like what side of the spectrum was it? And she, and, and then at that point I had had my own kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, you did what? How, how, like, how did you do that? And just coming in a, a posture of a lot of respect to her, I just said, how did you do it? H how did that work for you? It was confusing at first, but it brought, it has brought me all the peace in the world within my, my adoption story is she said when she got pregnant, she was scared and she was confused, but she was also like, I, you know, I get it. I know how this happens. She went to the doctors, which happened to be a partner of where my dad works. My dad's an OBGYN. Um, and so she went to one of the other, Wait, back up. Uh -huh. It's a closed adoption. Correct. Yeah. Oh, there's can of worms. But she had said when she was in sitting on that bed, getting the official doctor result, um, she felt like she's like, well, 
I'm just a surrogate. She goes, I'm a surrogate for a family who cannot do this on their own. The first time I heard that, I felt, oh, okay. Like, oh, so there's no emotional connection. You've had nothing this whole time. And just kind of listened to her talk through that. And it just, she's a strong, 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 independent, loving, generous woman. And she just feels so grateful that she, that God just presented to her, you're a surrogate for this other family. Your body can do things that someone else's body can't. And it protected her. I wasn't expecting that at all, right? I was expecting either spectrum of like, I miss you so much. I didn't have any of you or, oh, I didn't really care. You know, like it was, it had to be one of those two options. And then there was this beautiful middle ground. It was really helpful for me. I appreciate you being here today, and I appreciate you t- talking about it. I mean, it's an, you know, it's an uplifting story because what it happened, what happens here is just got the whole package tied up. I mean, of course, there's some loose ends. You're at peace with it. I love it. I get it. Well, I'll see you when I see you. I love you, Eric. See ya. I'd like to thank Cammie for being on the show today, and I have an update. Uh, I reached out to the bio dad. How many times have we been told not to get our hopes up, not to get ahead of ourselves, not to count our chickens before they hatch, not to pull the cart before the horse, things like that. But even with all that advice, we do tend to idealize the things that we expect the most. So we keep being disappointed when they don't live up to our expectations. As an example, let's use love. The problem with romanticizing love is that it makes us have a biased view of what love is and what it can do for us. In my last long-term relationship, I romanticized the love or the relationship with unrealistic expectations for both of us. When you put those kind of expectations on a relationship, it will end up falling apart, even though you wanted it to work. Okay, so I got off track a little bit there, but it's leading into my disappointment. I have been preparing myself for this particular disappointment for years. So you can imagine how surprised I was when I came face-to-face with the truth during a very short phone call to a man I had never met and hung up the phone a little hurt. And really for no good reason, to be quite honest. This is the last and closing act of my long journey as an adopted child. My search is over. Look, the result wasn't what I thought it would be. Even though I was ready for it, I still felt a little stunned when he turned me down. All I wanted were answers. I was interested on how they met. Let me say this. He was probably shocked. There he is in his kitchen, probably making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich during lunch. And all of a sudden, this dude, me, calls him out of the blue like a telemarketer selling Ginzu knives and says, hey, surprise, I'm your son. (laughs) I mean, I would be in shock too, you know? But he did make many repeated comments that he was worried about how this would change his life. He said he had no memory of an indiscretion. Just to be clear, he was referring to me as the indiscretion. I told him DNA results show that he would be the biological father. Then I asked if that was enough to jog his memory of an indignity. He said he didn't believe in DNA. Yeah, he actually said that. So I backed off a little because it was clear the man was in denial and felt cornered. All he could say more than once was that he couldn't afford to change his life. Dude, I'm not asking for child support, man. I just want a few answers. I asked him if we could talk again after a few days and so he could process this. And that's when he dropped the bomb. He said he didn't remember ever committing an indignity and didn't want to pursue this any farther. It was so disappointing. 
And when I thought about it, I realized I had expected him to be much more open than he was capable of being. Now, I don't feel bad for myself, and I don't have any more questions. The case is closed. I'm at peace. It became obvious to me he didn't know I existed. Now, as he deals with his own shame, I'll pray that he's kind to himself during his next phase. Well, that's this episode of The Spokane Show, everybody. I really appreciate the support. I appreciate all the people who download this program. Please do me a favor, rate the podcast, share the podcast with your friends. And until then, we'll see you next time on The Spokane Show.